folks, it's David James Young here. Welcome back to All My Friends Are In Bar Bands, back for another week. Hope you are all doing well. I hope life is treating you well. I hope you're getting out to as many shows as you can. I hope that the universe is all in order. Gang of Youths kick off their Australian tour this week. Uh, They are in Wollongong tomorrow night and they'll be in Sydney on Saturday night uh, at the Unibar and the Metro Theatre respectively. So please get along and check those guys out. They're doing a bunch of dates all around the place so go to gangofyouths.com. You can find all the dates there. Also uh, the Heartaches and Hannah Band tour starts tomorrow and they are going through Adelaide, Sydney, Melbourne, Wollongong, bunch of places. You can find out all about that on Facebook. Uh, definitely go along and support those guys. As, of course, Ben David was the first ever guest on this podcast. And I think Hannah Band were number six or number seven. Either way, both the early adapters to All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. So uh, very much appreciated on both halves. And this Sunday afternoon, if you are looking for the antithesis of a Sunday afternoon vibe, if you're looking for something a bit brutal and a bit terrifying, then get down to Blackwire Records. Michael Crafter are back after a somewhat extended absence, and they are going to be playing a show with Midwife out of Melbourne, as well as Dead Architect and the wonderfully named Scrotal Vice. And that is going to cost you all of $5. So, yeah, get along. That will be awesome. Uh, yeah, plenty going on all around the place. If something comes up in, in the immediate future, I will be posting about it on uh, the Facebook page, so get along and like that if you haven't already. This week's guest is David Le Pepe. David Le Pepe, as, uh, as aforementioned, is the lead singer, guitarist, primary songwriter, and founder of the band Gang of Youths, who are absolutely killing it at the moment. They are playing huge, huge rooms, selling out all over the place, and they have one of the highest commended albums of the year across pretty much every publication you can think of, just getting rave reviews about the place. Uh, the album is called The Positions, and that is out now. Yeah, if you haven't yet experienced this really lovely, really touching album, then I think you will get a lot out of it. Also, I think you'll get a lot out of this chat. If I'm honest, Dave and I didn't know each other all that well. Like, we'd kind of seen each other around a fair bit, you know, over the last year or so, but we never really properly spoken uh, the way we spoke on this day. And after we recorded, we just sat there talking for hours. He's just one of those kind of guys that can just get the absolute best out of you, you know. Uh, he's a really, really charming and really uh, a full personality. Someone that can really engage with you on pretty much any level that you think of. I'm really, really glad that we got to do this. And I'm really glad I got this insight into his little world. And now I get to share it with you guys. Next week on the podcast, we are going to have Rachel Maria Cox and SM, also known as the leaders of the Sad Girls Club. Sad Girls Club is an awesome female slash trans slash non-binary collective of people that are getting together and touring around this fair country of ours and playing exclusively uh, female slash non-binary bills which is really, really cool and really, really interesting. So if you want to find out more, you can next week. But for now, uh, we are going to cross over now to a wonderful, fulfilling, life-affirming, and absolutely wonderful chat with David Le Pepe from Gang of Youths. 
Enjoy. everyone, I'm David James Young and all my friends are in bar bands. Today I would like to introduce you to my friend, Dave Le Pepe. Hello. How, How are you, you my friend? I'm very well, thank you man. How are you? I'm doing just swell. Uh, we are in the uh, the midst of the CBD, just outside of World Square. Pretty casual afternoon. hangs on the Saturday. Well, yeah, casual hangs on the Saturday afternoon. I have a day off from having a day off. So. Well, you've been, you've been remarkably busy of late, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. like strangely busy. Yeah. Undeservedly busy. It shouldn't Undeservedly be this busy. busy. <laughs> That's a great album title. I have no right title. to be <laughs> <laughs> I have no fucking right to be this busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we just got off a tour and that was fun. Actually, I hate touring, but this tour was actually kind of cool. I didn't stop laughing the whole time, and I lost my voice, but it was um, it was really, really, really good. Oh, how, how do you uh, how do you battle that? Have you have you got any methods now? I just gotta shut the fuck up after a show. <laughs> oh, sure, yeah. Because yeah. I, I turn into a bit of a dipshit and just need to fucking hug everybody after. <laughs> I'll go out and just like hug and talk to literally everyone I can. Yeah. Because I'm a hugger, and I'm, I, I inherently crave human connection at whatever fucking cost. Like I, I, I always say, like I'm the kind of person who like. Who like drag myself naked across hot coals to connect with people? So that's what I'd like to see that. <laughs> <laughs> my naked, fleshy yeah. body. <laughs> my sinewy. That, that's the big finale for the next tour. <laughs> like the end of Birdman. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna set myself. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make an effigy of myself and set it on fire with myself. <laughs> Um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's the yeah you, with the corpse paint and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Man, this next record's gonna be super black. Yeah, metal. I'm thinking about getting Gal. Oh uh, yes, Gal and God, you know, God of Hell. <laughs> If I can get him and Nata Frost to talk to each other, I get them Oh man, endless possibilities. Fantastic. Yep. Okay, so we met for the first time in 2013, I believe it yep. was. Cloud and uh, you guys were opening for Cloud Control Cloudies, yeah. in Wollongong. Uh, would, would that have been one of the first like major was, proper tours that you that guys did? That was the first did? tour we ever did. Literally. Yeah, wow. We were a band for not long. It was like, like that period of about a year from August to year and a half I was like this really weird fucking angry depressed guy and I hated playing and I hated mm. music and I didn't want to do anything like that so yeah that was like a weird time in my life that you met me actually yeah, yeah. sure but I, but I obviously I'd seen you at like 7 billion other shows <laughs> and I was like so, I get that a lot surprisingly yeah. I'm that guy <laughs> oh, no, I was so in, like, I was so uh, fascinated with you always and I finally fucking had a chance to talk to you I'm like yeah fuck yeah do so <laughs> See, that's unreal to me like, like, <laughs> no you're like a celebrity was Shit. No, I'm, I, that can't I, be I, right. I, shit, you know Seriously, <laughs> I've seen you at so many shows and just been totally. I found you absolutely fucking compelling at every goddamn show. Seeing lyrics to bands I didn't fucking know. know. Every show, hardcore shows, like, yeah. you know, whatever. I thought it was really cool. So, oh, well, I, I appreciate that, man. Oh, yeah. That's alright. I appreciate you. Fuck. Oh, if, if, everybody, if everybody in the world had half the enthusiasm of David James Young, I swear to God, this would be the cuddliest world on the fucking planet. <laughs> Oh man, this is this is great. Come on, man. This isn't Spoiler. about this Spoiler. isn't about me, man. This isn't about me. We're here to talk about you, sir. <laughs> I want to take it back, and I want to I want to find out what sparks an interest in music to begin with. So, uh, yeah. tell me a little bit about your upbringing, and uh, I guess how music kind of played into that. So, I was born into like a pretty not disadvantaged, but we don't have a lot of money. So mm. I was born in the inner west. My dad wasn't working, so he let so my mum could work. Um, right, she worked sure. in mental health, social work, and so we're on welfare. And 
And she's also got a disability, so she's working part-time and kind of right here on this. So my dad quit uh, all hitting, I don't remember what happened, but he was working his white-collar jobs up until my sister was born in 88. Right. And then stopped to be like a full-time dad so my mum could keep working. Right. Raging feminist and she is, she just wanted to keep working. Fucking I. Yeah, fucking I. So we did that and uh, I guess I didn't really have a lot of friends and I wasn't really that interested in making them. I had a lot of like learning difficulties and ADHD and all that shit. So yeah, right. I don't really know if I was able to make friends in like a conventional sense but I, I like I was always interested in music like ever since I was a child yeah I, like a baby um, I was always fascinated with it totally infatuated and besotted with whatever I heard and uh, my sister and I used to watch Rage up like really long really oh long. yeah so, of yeah, course yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you were a kid, it still had like it was playing on Fridays and Saturday nights, like really early in the morning, like one, two in the morning. Um, so my sister used to scoop me up out of bed on Fridays or Saturdays, and um, we'd sit in, on the couch and fall asleep watching Rage. So I always oh, remember wow. watching. My earliest memory was seeing Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses, and then uh, that live video for Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. Oh fuck yeah! And I was yeah. probably three or four, and that was it. And I think I spent all my time at the library borrowing CDs and. You know the library you could like... You could oh, like, yeah, yeah. You could Hell like yeah. Out CDs. I used to do that all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you go and rip it onto your computer. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, that's what I did. So I borrowed this book on Peter Gabriel when I was maybe like six. Oh, really? I was just... I, I didn't know who the fuck he was. Like, who the fuck's Peter Gabriel? He just looked cool. Because he had a guitar and I thought guitars were amazing. Yeah. And I was a child and my dad played music and, you know, my sister played music and I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. So uh, that was it. That's and a great lady. in I had a really, really, really fortunate lead in. I wasn't exposed to music too late in life to appreciate it. Like, I feel like I've always been surrounded by music that I love. And that wasn't to say that I wasn't into Ricky Martin, whatever the other fucking kids were into. I think loneliness and weirdness kind of drove me towards wanting to invest time in music and being sort of this, like, not like a savant, because I'm not, like, a savant with it, but <laughs> just being absolutely obsessed with it. Mm. Completely, like I said, besotted with it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and uh, that's... It's yeah, like, that's the thing, isn't it? Because you, you're drawn to those people <clears> that... I don't know, make you feel less yeah. weird as, as, as yeah. musicians, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, whatever. Chron- yeah. yeah. Chronic weirdness and bellicose underclass rage <laughs> is what drove me to music. And that's probably, yeah, exactly. probably how you felt, you know? Like, how, how any massive music fan feels. Yeah, basically, yeah. that's it, hey. Yeah. So, yeah, who were you guys? Like, did you click with something when you saw it or heard it? It was just like, actually, I actually uh, want to be doing this, you yeah, know? When, yeah. you, when you went from being a fan to, like, actually wanting to start playing music. Well, I was, I was actually really into sport as well, but I was having, oh, yeah, a, sh- right. it was having a shit time with my sport teams. Like, I wanted to be a baseball player, but my parents couldn't afford the fees to play oh, baseball. Shit, so I yeah. played cricket and played rugby union. My dad was a rugby union player in, in, in New Zealand mm. for a little bit before he went to uni and all that. I don't know, maybe 2001. I remember 9-11, and I remember the strokes, is this it? Yeah. I remember feeling something when I saw the Sunday video clip on Rage and I remember wanting to do something like that and I, I, I remember knowing who Lou Reed was and listening to Lou Reed Street Hustle mm. you know Street Hustle uh, that fucking like I don't know and I, I remember those those are the those are the guys that made me want to do it I think when I was maybe 10 I realised that I fucking needed to do something about this shit so um, I begged, begged, begged my parents for years to buy me a guitar, electric guitar. They, we just didn't have the money, and my, my mum ended up saving up for like months and months to give me a cheap shitting one. And I started learning, and I was fucking shitty at it. Like, because I'd played drums before at church. Like, I could oh, play yeah. drums at piano, because those were the ones I had available. But uh, I, I went to Rainbow electric guitar. And then when I was maybe 11 or 12, I think they, they managed to scrounge together some money to buy one. So that was it. Wow. Never wanted to do anything else. Never. Not even a little bit. Just always wanted to do that. That's it. Yeah. Wow. So it was probably is this it? Honestly, like that was my first 
Well, look, because I'd heard of like all these bands. Like, because if you're 10 years old and living in the inner west, you hear shit. Yeah, you know, Yo, yeah, sure. You know, but um, but it was the first time I actually felt like, fuck, I think I want to do that. Mm. In any way, like I think I think initially I just wanted to be a guitar player. I was never really a singer. I, I didn't really start singing until Gang of Views. You didn't sing in church? Not really. No, no yeah. No, no, not really. I mean, I did, but I was like, at my parents' church, I'd play drums. You know, I played drums and bass. That was it. I didn't, I didn't really care about singing. I didn't care about singing until Gang of Views. It was just something that my dad and my sister could do, and I decided to do it as a, as a result. Right. Yeah. When I, I don't know, when did the interest kind of shift towards wanting to, to sing? Was it, uh, was it a reluctant thing? You know, was it kind of just like... Oh, well, if I'm playing these songs, I might as well sing along, you know? <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> no, no, pretty much, absolutely. I, uh, maybe it was that. I don't think I've thought about it enough. It just, uh, it felt, I mean, I'm pretty utilitarian, greatest good for the greatest number of people yeah, yeah. on occasion, so I sort of feel like that was that was probably the right way to go about it. I didn't feel like anyone else could deliver the songs I was writing because they were about a very specific time, a specific purpose for a specific person. Uh, the concept was cohesive to me, and uh, right. I felt like... If I was writing these songs about all this shit, then I would um, then I would have to be the one to deliver them. But I always felt very insecure about my voice, and probably still do to an extent. It was only when I when I discovered the magnetic fields that I realized that singing low could be a good thing. That I, oh wow, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Like I'm a huge Leonard Cohen fan. Like, you can, yeah. I, I like I could probably get sued by his estate for ripping him off so much. <laughs> so could a lot of people, to be fair. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> yeah I, don't, I don't see Nick Cave getting brought in. For oh yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, anyway. <laughs> Bloodlines case, man. Anything's possible. <laughs> Did you play through bands in high school or anything yeah. like that? Yeah. So yeah, I, mean, I actually was a lead singer in a lot of bands because I wasn't good enough at one instrument. Oh really? Yeah. 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 So you couldn't multitask at that point? What? I just wasn't good enough at guitar. Yeah. So yeah. I played. I played drums for a lot of bands. Like I played drums for heaps of bands. I played um, like mostly indie bands, and I played bass in a hardcore band. Oh um, cool, yeah. I wanted. I just wanted to play metal, but I like I wasn't good at guitar. And then, so yeah, yeah. That was it. So I played in a lot of fucking bands in high school because I think I realized this, this is what I wanted to do. What was the first? We're called the Flights to Elsewhere. The Flights to Elsewhere. Yeah. That and sounds very froggy. It that was sounds so very Pink Floyd. Embarrassingly froggy. Holy <laughs> shit. Looking back, gazing back upon that time now, I want to fucking slip over us. Like <laughs> some of the shit we were doing was so so fucking passe. No shit, it was such a yeah. gauche fucking. <laughs> I should have invested time to actually learning my instruments instead of pretending I'd fucking play it. But um, yeah, I was in, I was in the seventh grade. We were together for two years, and I quit, and then rejoined as the drummer. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what did that band sound like? Shit. <laughs> Just shit. We were called we're the, the, shitty <laughs> the Shitty Beatles. The Shitty Beatles. The Jagger Giant Shitty. No, we were, we were so fucking terrible. A mate of mine that I'd known since I was like maybe six years old was in that band, so it was kind of like a thing. And then I was in. I was in a band, I played drums for another band I can't remember the name of, and then another band called the Pink Clinkers. I was in a power pop group called oh, cool. The Uncool right. Elephants. Do you know Xavier Noon? I can't say I do. He's another writer guy who goes to a lot of shows and shit. Right, right. He, he was lead lead singer and lead guitarist. And I, oh, right, I okay. I was, in, yeah, I was in a ton of bands, but none that I really took seriously. Yeah, um, yeah. I was in I was in one band one I'm not going to name because it's embarrassing. Another power pop band. Uh, How bad could the name possibly be? No, just if you Google it, you can probably still find me. Oh, really? I'll tell you off the record. We guys on MySpace and shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you can see my fucking skinny ass pimply face <laughs> still on that, and I can't <laughs> find the fucking password to change. Oh that no! Yeah. I thought all the I thought everyone's MySpace got deleted. <laughs> still God there. damn! You know where the bodies are buried, man. man. I know where the fucking dude Justin Timberlake owns that shit now. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So, oh, we've got we to bring up JT and just <laughs> make this happen, man. We're like, there's some serious skeletons here. We need to we need to get rid of this shit. It's so fucking bad. I can't even express it how fucking shitty it is. I think my musical history is sort of like, it's very checkered because it's, it's like going through uh, really bad home movies. Yeah, right. Snuff films. They're fucking snuff, snuff films. films. God. They're musical snuff films. I mean, so it was good. Like, the hardcore band I was in wasn't so bad. We were only together for like six months. In what kind of style? Like, um, like old school hardcore. Like, oh, like I, Minor Threat and stuff. Um, not as quick and not as. I, I think I think we had breakdowns. Minor Threat was a sound. Oh, right. Like, were, more like, like Chromags and yeah, stuff. Yeah, more like Chromags, uh, Madball. I really liked Agnostic Front, but no one else did because. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I think Gorilla Biscuits is probably a good way to put it. Oh, nice. I was yeah. into Gorilla Biscuits. Not as abrasive as Minor Threat. We're really, we're really, really into comeback kid oh come back sure kid. yeah yeah um, the album like the dead yeah so that was that was kind of their thing but I played bass and that was fun and I used to wear a, a homemade singlet that said electro sucks on it <laughs> that's outstanding that dude because all the fucking electro kids and all the beaches would like be turning up at these shows oh and we'll man so, god you had your own little disco sucks <laughs> yeah. that's great god if you had that as a bumper sticker you'd have it made <laughs> You have to have a car, of course, but, you know. <laughs> was it important to you to play as many different styles as you can as you yeah. grew more and more interested in, in I think I just wanted music? to make friends and I had trouble. So music, yeah. making friends with all sorts of all sorts of kids, was that, that was the way Yeah, that, that was always the thing. Hey, I, I remember in high school you used to, like, scout the, the pictures on other people's folders mm. and shit like that. And if you saw a band, you'd like to say, oh, You gravitate yeah. towards that. Yeah, 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 band. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, like I think I've mentioned to you, like off microphone before, that like I've, I've always been, I've always been totally, totally drawn to fascinating, compelling people, and I guess music in whatever scene I could was was a good way to be around compelling people, people I found to be stimulating, yeah, um, bright, infectious, all those, all those things. Yeah, I think I gravitated pretty strongly towards kids who were in heavy music. Yeah, right. I, I always found them to be a little bit more intellectually informed, or at least you know fond of pursuits that I found to be. You know, interesting. You know, video games, comics, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was that was what I what I did, and um, I was sort of a late bloomer. I was pretty shy, so yeah, it was it, it became a it became a good way to connect with other humans. Mm, yeah, yeah. So what was the first time you ever played live? Annandale Hotel when I was fifteen years old. You played your first show was the Annandale. Yeah. Fucking hell, we're dude! On, no, we're on first. <laughs> that's, we're on that's first. still nothing to be sneezed at. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a. It was, it was, it was a legendary it stage at the very was, least. Yeah, Did you actually play on the stage or at the back? Yeah, no, we played on the stage. Oh, you actually on played stage. on that stage. School of Rock. School of Rock was this uh, program that we did uh, rehearsals at Zen Studios in St. Peter's. Yeah. So just a train ride for me. We'd go there for a whole term. My mum fucking saved like a motherfucker. Like it was like it was like my birthday present and Christmas present. Oh wow! So three hundred bucks. That was so much money for us. I couldn't believe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We used to do a term. We'd rehearse every week, and then we'd have a end of year concert or end of term concert at the end of our hotel with a theme. The first theme was Jimi Hendrix. So I wrote a bunch of originals, and then we did Purple Haze. Nice. Yeah, and that was that was my first ever show, and it was like. Fucking disaster! Oh no, we did, we also did um Burn Baby Burn by by Ash, remember Ash? Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah Tim Holy Wheeler. Shit. Yeah, yeah, that was it. My guitar was out of tune, and it, I was so embarrassed. And just, so you were just playing guitar? I was singing as well. Uh, as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we, you... we all shared vocal duties, but I was like in the middle. I I've never been more nervous in my fucking life. Oh, I used to vomit violently before stage. Oh, up to cloud control. I used to vomit like just like hurl before before. Oh, playing. fuck! Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's terrified. The, the the idea of Talking or speaking or like sharing anything with an audience, alone like one like one person with alone an audience is fucking horrifying. Yeah, yeah, man. 
yeah. mortified of it. Yeah, and I remember throwing up violently, picking up me, uh, picking up me axe, and then walking on the stage oh, man. and seeing like thirty people and feeling like I was gonna shit my pants. Right, um, like my heart was gonna fall out of my fucking asshole. And then we started playing, and no matter how, no matter how horrible we were, and how terrible our drama was, and it just, I, I think I got it. I think I yeah. got like a, like a set. Yeah. Like my nuts were tickled to, to <laughs> some fucking, to some fucking great celestial extent, you know. So is that it? Like, is it like it. one of those drive. things? Where like, up, up to and including the performing bit you're just like fuck this yeah, fuck yeah, this yeah, fuck yeah. this and then you get on stage just like fucking alright absolutely yeah. absolutely so um, it's, I turn it's, any- it's worth getting, going through all that fuck yeah man I turn anything to a drug and I think I found my drug of choice that day and I, I don't think I've ever been able to shake it you know nothing's like the first time like heroin you know sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like sex yeah but, like, there's nothing like that first time and I still I, th- I still think I'm I'm hunting for that I'm always hunting for it but it's a you know it's a kind of addiction that I'm I think there's a I think there's a, a resolute satisfaction with it in me. You know, I'm, I'm I'm content to keep pursuing that. I think it's just kind of what I what I what I need to do with my life at this moment. So yeah, right, yeah, yeah. So where do we go from there? Like uh, uh, after high school, where do you kind of go? Um, like, I quit music. You, oh, you you quit? Uh, I started getting attention for it, and I didn't like that. Oh really? Yeah. So, what, who was this with? Like, was um, this still with one of the high school bands? Uh, no, this is actually me, the solo artist, and the songwriter. I think I decided I because I, I also started drinking a lot, and uh, drink, it was destroying my life. Um, so you were like eighteen, uh, probably sixteen when I started drinking really heavily. Yeah, right. Um, I looked I looked pretty old despite being covered in acne. I looked pretty old, and so I used to be able to buy booze. So I was um, I was drinking a lot and uh, playing like gigs and just doing that thing. And uh, I think I decided that performing music. That drug was not good for me at the time. I won some band competitions or whatever, something really fucking small. But then I got scouted by a couple of major record labels. Really? And, uh, yeah, and a manager and shit. And I didn't like that very much because I felt like a fucking traitor to my punk rock roles. Because you know, when you when you're 16, you have ideals. You just don't have any wisdom. I was clouded by ideology, and I was like, "Fuck this shit, I quit." So I was about 18. I just stopped playing music, and I decided I didn't want to. And then I met the girl that I wrote the album about, the positions, um, and she was really sick. So I decided to become a fucking... I, I tried to breach the middle class. I tried to break from the working class, the middle class. I did that. And I spent three years not touching a guitar or a piano. It was a happy time because I felt like I was free to sort of man, like fabricate my own identity to manufacture this other version of Dave LaPepe that wasn't associated with a stage, with a piano or anything. That was kind of it. So I spent the time. And I was, I was, trying, I was getting into husband and father mode, even at the age of 18, because I fell in love with this fucking girl who was really sick. I wanted to be a good provider. I want to be a fucking grown-up. Shut the fuck up, go to your job, go home, fall asleep, live in that, live in that awkward dichotomy. And uh, that's what I did. You mentioned, like, uh, performance as a drug and stuff like that. Was music in general still something that you were interested in or yeah, was it yeah, just yeah. were you just like I, I love this but I, that's why I can't do it it's like um, when, you, when you talk about an old CIA agent or an old spy the spy in you never do, dies or goes away it just lays dormant for a while and uh, I sort of lay dormant because I had to put um, I had to put other things into consideration I had to take some cautionary measures to ensure that I was going to be a good provider for this person because I fell in love when I was 17 look 18 you know and I, I went from someone who was never going to fucking get married and never wanted any of that shit mm. to being so incandescently blossoming with love, this fucking person. Yeah, it just sort of does things to you. You, you reconsider a lot of things in your life, a lot of closely held yeah. core values and whatever. 
And philosophically, I was unable to reconcile my desire to become a touring musician and have that sense of born free, tattered on a knuckles freedom, you know, mm. with being potentially a husband to someone who's dying. Mm. So, yeah, I did. Wow, yeah. Cool. And then when I was 20, I was like, fuck this, I can't do it anymore. I need to do something. Uh, when, when my ex was re-diagnosed with, uh, with stage 4 cancer, I decided to write her some songs that would cheer up. Just shit that she could listen to driving to and from the hospital. Yeah. I uh, put on the internet and then uh, next minute, Gang of Youth. Wow. Yeah. So all, all the original Gang of Youth stuff is, is just you? Riverlands, the uh, the slow piano ballad was just me. A lot of our early demos, I just got my mates, like so my, my two best friends uh, from youth group play guitar in the band and uh, my other best mate from not the band youth group but we no, should yeah, have yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not, not youth group yeah um, <laughs> we had Toby from youth group on the podcast before, oh really yeah because <laughs> oh, I heard the one with um, Jen Buxton yeah that's, yeah, that's right. the one I heard that's the yeah. first one I heard because he posted about it on Twitter and I was like, yeah yeah it was really good yeah she's um, awesome she's fucking hilarious yeah she's oh, great she's <laughs> but yes yeah, friends yeah. from youth group yeah yeah friends, no not that youth group yeah the other youth group <laughs> That's a great cover. Yeah, it's pretty really awesome. That cover. That's like the greatest funeral song fucking ever, and that's about suicide. Yeah, yeah. So we did that, and I just got in my garage and we recorded some shit and then put online, and then that whole thing that I ran away from when I was 16 happened again, but I, I think this time I was open to the possibility. So what changed? Like, obviously at some point you, you, you missed it, yeah, and you, you yeah, kind yeah. of wanted to do it again, but... I don't know, where did, where did it kind of stem from? Was it just like, I, I need to get this out of my system or I need, yeah. to, I need to share this with someone, you know? I always say this. When it comes to music, I'm addicted to the romance of emulating my former self. Right. I make effigies of, yeah. of who I was and who I am and I fucking set fire to them and I make sure everyone can see it. Mm. And that was what I needed to do, I think. I wanted to fight paying a little genius. I wanted to cheer my missus up. I wanted to do something in my life. I was sick of being a fucking write-off, being a waste of a mental level IQ. You know, I don't want to exist in that capacity. I don't want to spend the rest of my life being a fucking like loser, like all the kids in high school said I was. Mm. If I can turn our horrible, horrible, fucking shitty experience into something hopeful and triumphant mm. and life-affirming, if I can channel all this rage and energy into something productive, mm. instead of drinking away my fucking sorrows and being miserable and shitty to everybody, if I can attempt to connect with human beings on a short time on the earth, like, fuck, I want to do that. So mm. that's what I did. I mean, it's one thing to write those songs and, you know, share them immediately with, with that person, but, you know, Putting them out there in in the yeah. in the way that you did, you know, that's it, it almost belies everything you, you, you've said, yeah. kind of in that in exactly. that way of being very reserved and yeah. very shy and like uh, unable to communicate with yeah. people and things yeah. like that. What made you want to kind of get those songs out in the public domain? Like, because uh, I think I realised that our journey wasn't just about us anymore. Right. That you know, if I had the ability to compartmentalise these experiences into seven-minute songs. Mm then, you know, other people might derive some sense of hope and joy from them. I think there's enough hapless fucking cowards in the world unable to stand, unable to say anything, who are just content with staring at their shoes, singing about chicks they bang at parties, and I can't... You know, I don't have anything... I don't have any problem with that. I just can't exist in that. I'm, I think I'm too full of emotion. I'm too yeah. full of the feels. And I think the weight of human experience is beautiful and captivating, and I really like my job. Like, I fucking care so much about it, and I care about people, and... Uh, why not? Fucking why not? This is this is like if I have, I have a shot of becoming half, half of a semblance of, of my heroes. Like, fucking why not? I'm young. I'm you know dumb. I have no scruples. I don't think you're dumb. <laughs> I definitely don't think you're dumb. Uh, sir. 
<laughs> I think I'm probably overly, I'm probably too passionate about everything for my own good. No, yeah. it's 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 good, you know. Like there, there's a lot of people in the world that that are very apathetic. Yeah. You know, you got to pick up the slack for those guys. I guess. Dude, I've said dude, this is this is like my favorite saying, and it's caring is kryptonite to poses. Fuck poses. <laughs> that's my that's another rant for the day. Oh god, I get so fucking vitriolic. No, no, but caring is kryptonite to poses, and yeah. fuck that, I ain't gonna be yeah, a poser. I desperately, desperately care. So. Right. So we have the songs, yep. and you have the you have. You know your story out there, and there's interest in what you're doing. So, when do you perform again for the first time since you know quitting music? Oxford, uh, Oxford Art Factory, 2012 or 13. Right. 2013. Is that in the gallery bar Sorry, or the gallery bar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah gallery bar. He's like my. He's basically. I've managed to with him. He's like my older brother, but he used to manage us. Just a mate of our bass players from New Zealand, and uh, he goes to show. Gary Bar and I, yeah, the fucking fire in my loins was burning there, in the words of Nabokov. And that was when I really, I had that, I had that Annandale Hotel experience again. Yeah. yeah. So you were violently vomiting. Oh, dude, <laughs> like a motherfucker, like heaving, like, you know, I was, uh, I was morning sickness with twins sick. Oof. Um, Heavy. No, but I, I rediscovered that edge, that lust for mm. adulation of an audience, you mm. know. So did that kind of change as Gang of Youth started playing more? Like, what, like you mentioned kind of being a bit discontented and yeah, yeah, un- yeah. unhappy with playing, like, yeah. even, just even, just, even just those crazy. cloud yeah. control shows, which was yeah, yeah. not long after. Yeah. Well, I was desperately, desperately unhappy. I was just depressed. I was living away from my fiancé. Yeah. Yeah, she was yeah. in Nashville, Tennessee getting treatment right. I was living away from her so yeah as much as I loved doing it there was still the sense of I didn't want to do it because I wanted to be with her in Nashville I wanted sure, to be, yeah. be some straight laced middle class fuck that's what I wanted to be mm. and uh, there was a dichotomy that existed there that I was unable to negotiate with much grace we got a lot of interest from indie labels and I was yeah. I'm, I'm an indie label guy I, I like to pretend I'm fucking major label as shit but I'm not you know, I'd be fucking lying to me if I, lying to anybody if I said I thought about being on a major label but Sony came along and they were awesome and they let us control literally everything they have no say in any creative matters which is awesome and so we were doing that but I was still I felt like a fucking sellout you know? <laughs> still even though I had complete creative control my own record label with the boys and an amazing team of fucking people I was so delusional about my self perception I was like fuck this man and, you know, like, I wanted to front everybody and just like you know and it came across in the music, you know. When we played live, I was fucking angry. I wasn't enjoying myself. I was fucking pissed off. And I used to, I would look at people with contempt and be like, "I'm your god now, cunts." Oh shit! <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I was like, no, no, no. no, no, it wasn't that. I just, I just remember being so fucking dour about the whole thing, you know, because I didn't realize that I was allowed to enjoy myself. I thought I had to be like the embodiment of what this music was about. So, so, so morose. Where did that turn around? Where did you start? I don't know. This feeling time, something about live music again. When did you? This, this time last year. This right. time last year. Do, do you remember uh, drummer, where you were playing? What you doing? I, I do. I, it's a fucking story. I got me a little heart ripped out of my fucking chest, still oh, beating, shit. pumping in the person's hand, and she tossed it to the wayside, and I watched it get smushed by a million cars. No, no, no my marriage broke down. That was yeah. a really, really difficult thing for me. We've only been married for a year. Yeah. At that point, and I, well, a little bit less than a year, and I spent so much fucking time being like Captain Loyal husband, touring, being miserable. Yeah, and it was just a really hard time because I got my heart broken. Our old drummer uh, left the band, and I think when we started playing again, because the girl I'd written about wasn't really that girl anymore. How do you mean? Did, you, did she just become more like an idea, in a way? Perhaps the impression of the girl I used to love is so 
burned into my retinas and in my heart yeah. that I was writing about her. And I, I suppose that when, in the words of Samuel T. Herring, seasons change. It's indeed. Um, some people never do. Some people never do. <laughs> I never did, but unfortunately, some people do. That was a stark reality of what went on in my marriage, and it was a really difficult thing. But I caught hold of the electricity again. I, As a reaction to yeah. the world around you, yeah, what was yeah, happening yeah. immediately. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started writing again. It wasn't. It wasn't just about cancer. It's about you know my fucking relationship breaking down. I had something to write about. I had some. I had some water fight. You know? Yeah, I was. I always say I'm like Marv. I'm like I. I'm probably better swinging some battle axe in a medieval battlefield. You know. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a diplomatic person. I'm a warlord. You know, so. <laughs> so no, I just I found a water fight again. I fucking you know I got the blood boiling. You know, I felt like I was. I felt like I was a, a, a mongoloid in a horde again. I felt like I was a vandal. You know, some fucking hunted warrior sweeping across the plains of Hungary. I, I, I had that moment. It was a, it was a revelatory thing that happened. There. Sure. Um, and I just fucking started loving it. I fucking really started loving it. It became lifeblood again. It wasn't. It wasn't draining my happiness from me. It was actually providing me some respite from my shit show of a fucking personal life. And I was connecting with the cancer subject matter as much as I was with the relationship breakdown subject matter as well. I've spent, especially the last six months, I've spent the better part just being fucking deliriously, undeservedly happy. You know, like that, that sense of absolute abject job satisfaction where I'm so unbelievably content I could do this for fucking ten years yeah. at the same level and still be jizzing long, sticky mind loads at the end of it. <laughs> Man, you have a way with words. Fucking jizz loads. That's outstanding. I love it. Every time I, every time you guys announce, you know, like shows and tours and stuff like that, the, it just seems to get bigger and bigger, and more people are interested in, in, in what you're doing. Like uh, playing to 30 people at the Annandale is one thing, but like, does it kind of impact on you knowing that there's more people there? And yeah, really, it, it's it's still it's still the same thing to you. I think I just love it. I just fucking love it. Mm. Three people, 30 people, like. 100,000, it wouldn't fucking matter. I get very esoteric about it. There's a metaphysical component to music that I can't quite explain. You're like that fan for me, you know? There's a cosmos. There's a thing in this, there's, a, there's a thing in, I call it the celestial coitus, right? There's like, right. A, there's like astronomical fucking in the ethers. That's what music is. And I think there's some, there's some tremendous uh, spiritual thing about playing something that you're passionate about and, yeah. and, and, and something that connect so deeply with the synapses in your brain and the, and the fibers in your cell like that's processing it. So playing to 30 people I actually sometimes enjoy more because it's like it's like this really really democratic communion. It's fucking absolute democracy you know. There's no greater form of egalitarianism than live performance for me um, which is always why I find elevated stages really really uncomfortable because I like being on the you know you know like the, the DIY hardcore show like on the same Yeah yeah yeah. Um, it's a democratic process. I'm um, its communion, and it's fucking, you know, it doesn't matter how many people, and I think it's like a, probably like a biblical principle for me as well, two or more are gathered together. Yeah, it doesn't really change anything, because, you know, an empty room with 30 fucking nuts people, <laughs> as opposed to 100,000 yeah. fucking people just, you know what I mean, like, I don't give a shit. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's how much you care that matters, and it's uh, what flows out of the abundance of your heart. The five of us uh, in the band are astonishingly satisfied and truly truly captivated by the process because it envelops you yeah like I said it becomes lifeblood it flows through your veins as uh, as crisply and as swiftly as blood best shit ever <laughs> fucking oxygen dude I'm glad you found it again man fuck I yeah, really man. am fuck yeah
we'll wrap it up there, but uh, before I do that, uh, I asked this of all my guests, and now it's your turn. I want to know about the single best and worst live experiences that you have <laughs> ever had. Feel free to start on either or. Go for it. I want to end on a high. Oh, God, I've had some fucking low ones. Eh? <laughs> shit. Haven't we all? Haven't we all? <laughs> Because you, you, like, you're a musician, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you have to go through, like, you, you'd have to go through a list of shitty things. Oh, man. Alive, man. The low light reel. Oh, it's outstanding. <laughs> it's just like, it's oh, like, oh, yep, well, that was that. But that was worse. Oh, but that was also worse. Oh, that was way worse. Oh, God. <laughs> For me, it's like going through a real tape of Fred Nile using the words lifestyle choice. Sinful and unnatural. <laughs> That's how many fucking times I've had a shitty live experience. Just yeah. with Gang of Youth, so one of them is a personal attack on someone who used to work with us. So I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> you were telling me that story yeah, off my. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm so sorry. There's like, like literally, I can't actually fucking pick one. Some are so bad. Oh, there was one show in New York at CNJ. Yeah, right. Um, where. I lost my voice. Mm. I got kicked in the nuts by accident by a guy. And I said, How do you get kicked in the nuts on accident? Because I ran into the audience and they accidentally kicked me in the nuts. It, and so I'm there like trying to sing a song and my fucking manhood is throbbing. It's fucking throbbing like uh, like the core of the earth. It's like pulsing. It's fucking, me nuts are, I'm like, I'm worried about my vast deferens are severed. I'm going to be able to have kids. And I have to sing a quiet song, so I'm like whimpering. I thought that's all in the story. <laughs> Kicked in the fucking nuts. And then we trashed the stage. <laughs> we broke the keyboard, we trashed the stage. Right? So we, we just didn't even fuck anymore. Like, of course. That's what happens when you get kicked in the nuts. <laughs> it, was, it was horrible. I know, he like need me in the nuts. We're still there. Like, Holy like, shit. Dude, I get I get like sexually harassed a lot, man. Like, least, really? Yeah, like, like... It's actually really fucking bad. Like, I had a pick on the part. This girl grabbed my, my wang. I just fucking went. And I'm like, you know what? I'm okay with this, but if that was a fucking woman and a guy, I'd be... No, that's unacceptable. So, no, man. definitely. <laughs> so that was it. Uh, the highlight. I uh, Fremantle, just this last tour. Yeah, right. Yeah. Odd spot. What was, what was so good about Fremantle? Beautiful Frio. city, beautiful fucking people. The stage was fun. Everyone was all, everyone was at that point of drunk where they are rambunctious but also respectful. People from like people from Western Australia are just fucking captivating and like intoxicating people and intoxicated. Good mix. But I've had a lot. Like we've had a lot. Like we got to play at Webster Hall with Sky Ferreira. Oh wow! Yeah, Westerns, yeah. And that was really fun. I, I sort of felt a semblance. Of, I used that word a lot. Semblance. I felt like a fraction of uh, the joy I might be feeling one day if I headline a show there. You know, yeah. and that was sort of cool anyway so that was it those are my two big ones getting kicked in the balls at Lit Lounge in New York at uh, Fremantle this last show beautiful great contrast you're beautiful you're great contrast <laughs> thank you sir the <laughs> positions is out now and uh, by the time you are listening to this Gang Views will be on tour quite possibly near you sponsored by Coke Zero <laughs> and Diet Pepsi and uh, Goomin E. Gomez <laughs> Uh, and uh, Noah's Arcade uh, sponsoring the tour. I think the Coke Brothers might be. Um... <laughs> the Coke Brothers uh, and Pizza Hut uh, also sponsoring uh, Disney. I think, we, I, I think, I think Rupert, we've got Rupert Murdoch is going to And And Rupert Murdoch yeah, is so uh, giving the big thumbs up. Uh, so please go and see Gang of Youth. You won't regret it. It will be as refreshing as a cup of ice cold drink of Coke Zero. <laughs> 
David, thank you so much, my thank friend. You, I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in Barbara. This has been a David James Young Writes production. For more information, visit davidjamesyoung.com.